Greetings, my name is Leroy Larry and welcome. Natural physics will explain in down-to-earth scenarios how the principles of physics could have come about from observing nature. Each episode begins with a scenario followed by an example to illustrate the application of these principles in futuristic research at the frontiers of science, such as my astrophysics research, and then concludes with an exploration of how these same principles could have very well been used by ancient cultures and civilizations. Mathematics is naturally encountered and incorporated as the exciting and fun tool of science that it is. Science is the window into our amazing world of nature and mathematics is the tool to open that window. Natural physics encompasses current, futuristic and ancient physics and ties them together by the principles of physics that are common threads running throughout each. Greetings, I'm Leroy Larry and welcome to Natural Physics, live from Costa Rica. <laughs> okay, now, I wanted to start off by saying that I found out last week that six new countries have joined our podcast audience. I'm, I'm just, I'm totally tripping. It's so cool how podcasts can reach all around the globe like this. It's just so awesome. And those six countries, which I memorized again, like the first 10, are Hungary, Czechoslovakia, France, Italy, Bahrain, and Hong Kong. How cool is that? Hey, and you new joiners, don't, don't forget, anytime you want, you can go on Facebook, Twitch, and YouTube and catch the recorded video live streams of these episodes. We show cool videos that I wouldn't want you to miss out on to go with the audio. Okay. Mariella, I have a question for you. Okay. Have you ever heard of Juneteenth Day? I haven't. Okay. I wouldn't have expected you to do so now. In the United States, you had the institution of slavery, the inhumane institution of slavery that existed for 400 plus years. And when Abraham Lincoln was president, you know, the Civil War was about slavery. That's what it was about. It was about slavery between different, two parts of the United States. So. Abraham Lincoln issued his Emancipation Proclamation that freed the slaves. They were free. They were no longer property to be bought and sold, like just so many pieces of property, right? These, these are human beings, right? So when he issued his proclamation, which is probably why he was assassinated, in the long term, that's, that's probably what it was about. So it took a while for the slaves that were in Texas to get the message because his Emancipation Proclamation was issued in Washington, D.C. And it literally took about two years. And if I get my time frame wrong, please excuse me, but it took a while. It took a while for the slaves in 
Texas to get the word that they were now free. You know, they're human beings, and now they get the word that they're oh, we're you know they're free, <laughs> right? As if it took a proclamation to say that. I, I'm, okay, anyway, and hey, this is 1865, 64. So we're just talking. Not, not too much more than 200 years ago. That is not at all long in terms of the time frame that we're talking about in terms of the ancient cultures that we're going to be talking about. So, okay, so when the slaves got the word that they were free, it happened to be on June the 19th, 1865. If I got my date wrong, please excuse me. But... The point is, they got it on June the 19th, and that got shortened to Juneteenth Day. So, basically, Juneteenth, June the 19th, is the day in the United States in 1865, I think, that the slaves received word that they were free people. They could live as, as they wanted to, which we all know, which is what's going on now in the news. That ain't happening, right? 400-plus right. years later. Not much has changed. Okay, so again, this past Saturday, June 19th, Juneteenth Day became an official United States holiday. Okay, from 1865 to 2021, that's how long it took for the, and congratulations to the United States for doing that, for, for, for making, Yes, for making that holiday, making that day a holiday to be observed by all Americans and people around the world because it represents a people's being recognized as having their freedom. And again, as we see, that still continues to be struggled against in our present 2021. But so I just wanted to let everybody know that this past Saturday was the first official Juneteenth Day uh, observed across the United States. And I guess on Friday, all your federal businesses were closed in observance of Juneteenth Day. And interestingly enough, yeah, okay. Oh man, that, that was magic. Okay, and interestingly enough, the, the most previous recent holiday to have been observed as a new American holiday, Martin Luther King Day, right? Right? So there you go. Martin Luther King Day and Juneteenth Day. Boom. One in a row. Right on. Right on. <laughs> um, and, and now I must tell everybody that I have a special connection to Juneteenth Day. Um, in 2016, Costa Rica hosted a United Nations Costa Rica workshop on human space technology. And it was held at the Intercontinental by Sabana, La Sabana Park. And you had representatives from all over the world, uh, um, experts in space technology and also in outreach and education. And at the time, I was a professor at the University of Costa Rica, and I had the fortunate opportunity 
to be able to attend this conference. And uh, it was great. And I, I met an educator from Nigeria, a lady who headed up their outreach and space education program. And I told her about my natural physics idea and she wound up inviting me to come to Nigeria. Okay, I never in a million, seriously, I never thought I would ever, ever get to go to Africa. I mean, ever, 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 never, ever, 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 right? So, and get this, when I fly into Lagos, Nigeria, which is the largest city in Nigeria, largest population, when I flew into Lagos, Nigeria, can you guess what day it was? June 10th, 2016. Now you can't tell me that I said, there's some energy going on here. Here I am, the descendant of African slaves that were brought here against their, brought to the United States against their will, just their lives totally snatched up and stolen. And here I am on the day that their freedom was announced, right? After how many years of slavery? Uh, 1600s to the 1800s, that's at least 200 right there. So here I am a descendant of these slaves going to the homeland of my ancestors and actually the birthplace of the human race. I mean, it has been archeologically and anthropologically uh, uh, um, established that Homo sapiens originated in Africa. Uh, and so I gotta tell you, when I landed and I'm walking out through the airport and I'm in Africa, right? And I'm looking around at these Nigerians and they're looking at me too, <laughs> like, hmm, okay, who's this? <laughs> <laughs> where's where's this individual from <laughs> right and uh, so and uh it was you know the funky thing about it i felt like i was in an alien on an alien planet but yet okay. i felt that i was connected to them in a more basic level i, I mean even though we were separated by generations and, and, and space and time, hey, you know, these are not only my human ancestors, these are my racial ancestors too. So, so what I did was, as soon as I found a spot of ground, I took off my shoes, barefooted, I stepped on that little piece of dirt, and I said, hey, I have arrived to the motherland. I mean, this is the birthplace of the human race. And so, I just wanted to tell everybody about that, the, not only the fact of the, symbo the, sim the, symbol the symbolism of Juneteenth with respect to the United States, but also my personal life of having gone to Africa, which I never thought I would ever go to, and arriving there on Juneteenth. I, I thought that was so cool. Cool, creepy. Remember my term, cool, creepy? It's cool, but it's creepy. There you go. So, okay, now, on the subject of Africa, um, not only are pyramids found in Egypt, but there's pyramids that are found in other areas of Africa as well. And some of them 
uh, they have that that step shape. Uh, and so, and in, and in and in the last episode, I mentioned the library at Timbuktu. Timbuktu, and there was an even more famous library located in Alexandria, Egypt, that contained volumes and volumes and volumes of not only Egyptian knowledge, but knowledge that was uh, acquired from other parts of the world, just enormous amounts of human knowledge. And unfortunately, a lot of it was destroyed. So it's so easy to lose our knowledge and our heritage. And so to the Baruka, the fact that we have this little sliver of information that they were actually used to uh, study and predict lunar eclipses. I mean, in, a, in, a, in astronomy, that's a serious specialized field. I mean, that shows a lot of ability. And so um, what I wanted to say was that as we are going to proceed to use physics and mathematics to try to get a handle on the plausibility as to if this was even possible for them to do, um, the, the, the place that I thought was a good place to start, and I, I, may, I may be mumbling, my mouth is getting a little dry, but this is seriously an exploration that all of you are with us on. I mean, it is. And as I said last episode, I got on the internet to see if, it, if, if anywhere did it make a reference that these spheres could be remotely connected to lunar eclipses whatsoever. And there was nothing. So that word by mouth, yes. Can, can we recall something you said before yes. going ahead? Okay, yes. You said that the slaves, when they were free, they didn't know what to do. Why do you think what happened? Can we say that people get used or the human race get used to what we, what we do? And it's really hard for us to change our routines and our customs? Oh, that is so true, Mariella. And actually, um, might get into trouble here. There's a term, <laughs> there's a phrase actually that's called I can already predict we're not going to do a half hour, and and especially since we were late getting going, so it's all it's very all good. There's a phrase, Mariella, uh, in the African American community, and it, it's called it says quote slave mentality unquote, and what that means is that when a person has been literally under the whip all their lives. They get programmed just like a robot, right? Their humanity is taken away and they're reduced to these automatons. They're by virtue of this, this system of brutality and cruelty and human treatment of other human beings, they're reduced to these robots that react to just stimuli. Definitely. So slave mentality Definitely. means that even if you're free 
what are you going to do with it now? What you're so used to being driven, driven, driven by the slave master and told what to do, told how to how to live your life. That's that's a serious question, Mariel. I mean, you pr you probably figure you got those that were, and I'm I'm speaking very ignorantly here, because how could I ever remotely uh, travel back in the time and put my put myself in the place of those in of those of those individuals at that time? But just just trying to you know just take a whim at it. You've been told day in and day out how to live your life, when to eat when to sleep, when to work, which is pretty much most of the day. And all of a sudden, it's all gone. You're not told to do any of that. I'm thinking there was probably some that were like, hey, right on. Okay, this is what I'm going to do. But then you had those that may have said, oh, what do I do now? What, um, what do I do now? So I'm thinking that um your question has a very i mean you could even look in terms of it and now with the situation around the world where all of a sudden people had to adjust to a new norm of living right their normal schedules got totally disrupted and and they had to make new schedules so Back to your question of what did, what did the slaves do upon being freed? I don't know much. I know that a lot of them, this I do know. A lot of them kept the last names of their slave owner. For example, Smith or Jones. They kept that last name as they went on and as they left. Um, you know what? It's almost similar to, uh, this is an extrapolation, but you have prisoners in jail that have escaped and they get, or, or, or actually they're, they're freed, they're legally freed, and they find it a hard time to adjust to living in the outside world. They find it very hard to adapt. They're used to the prison system of Kind of like slavery, right? Where you're told when to do what, when. So it's kind of hard for them. And they actually, unfortunately, wind up doing things that cause them to go back to prison. But that was the life that they had gotten used to. So uh, with, with my long-winded answer to your question, what did the slaves do after they were free? I imagine some of them did very well. And maybe some of them didn't do so well. Uh, that would be my answer, Mariella. <laughs> right. Excellent. And I think that happens to all of us. We get used to, to a routine. We do. Well, we need to work, of course. We all need to work. But sometimes we do the same things every day, every morning. We get angry because of the same things. And we live the same life. And we're like slaves. Very true. Very we get true. In the, um, in, the, in the traffic jam every single day, <laughs> for example. You you could say technology can take away from our humanity, uh, just like the Baruka, where they had the tradition of the elders communicating the ancient knowledge to the village. But once 
technology started coming into the picture, they started to lose sight of uh, of that. And um, and okay, you know, I wanted to say that with the possibility that Mariella, by virtue of your friend, we have a little sliver of undocumented information that I haven't found anywhere on the internet that connects the spheres to lunar eclipses. I got on the internet and I, I thought, okay, maybe a cool place to start would be to see what other ancient civilizations and cultures were doing back in the day. What were they doing in terms of lunar and solar eclipses? Just thinking that maybe the Baruka, because they had a lunar eclipse calendar, maybe they were kind of in that same uh, group. So what I found out is that, and we're talking 4,000 years ago, <clears throat> you had civilizations uh, in Mesopotamia, which is modern day Iraq, southern Iraq, Samaria, Babylon, Assyria. And then you also had the Egyptians and you had the Chinese. And interestingly enough, they, they the, the first celestial object that everybody started out looking at was the moon as opposed to the sun. And that's very understandable, right? I mean, you can look at the moon all night the sun, you catch carefully, you, you look at it a little bit and then you gotta turn around, you gotta turn away. And they didn't have shades back in the day, right? Especially ultraviolet uh, meets the standards, UV standard. So the moon, the moon, this is what I read on the internet. The moon was the first celestial body that was extensively studied by all the major ancient civilizations and cultures so they got very good very adept at keeping track of the movements of the moon across the night sky and this was very important for them in terms of when to plant and when to harvest their crops i mean they just weren't moon gazing they were survival right they they definitely recognized that there were certain times based on the position of the moon that was advantageous. Which is a part of their survival. And also they start to study nature to survive. And this natural body that has been with us since day one of the human race is their guide point. So they get very, and I'm talking about all these civilizations around the world, right? And hey, you can put the Baduka right in there. Of course. They kept track of the movement, the movements of the moon. And they noted, for example, when the moon set and when it rised on the uh, equator. Now, while I, while I continue further, I would like to start the video from last episode because as I talk about this and I plowed through tables and serious research papers, but I wanted to get it down to kind of something just real in general that you can get an idea of 
the amount of effort and work it took for these ancient peoples, whether here in Costa Rica, whether in uh, China, whether in Egypt, okay, whether in Peru, it took a lot of observation for these people to record these precise movements of the moon. So please, if we could play that video. Okay. Okay, so um, <clears throat> now remember from last episode that uh, this shows how eclipses and lunar eclipses uh, happen. Okay, so the two important points that come into play when predicting a lunar or solar eclipse is what's called the lunar nodes. And these are the points that the moon crosses the elliptical plane. Now the elliptical plane, that's the plane that the earth and all the other planets except Pluto orbit the sun, okay? So that, that elliptical ring that you see the moon going around Notice that it seems to be at an angle, right? I mean, you figure the elliptical plane is the same, the point on the horizon where the, where the sun comes up and comes down. If you draw a line between those two points, you got your elliptical plane. So the moon actually orbits the earth at a five degree angle. So it crosses this elliptical plane two times, okay? So it turns out that these two lunar nodes, the point on the elliptical plane where the moon goes up and comes down, ascending and descending. Uh, and, and please, let's just keep playing this video as I talk, because I see the creature from the Black Lagoon coming in again, which means I was about to hit the stop button. Okay, so anyway, yeah, just please keep, keep it going while I'm talking. If, thank you so much. Okay, so these two points, these two lunar nodes, it turns out that if there's going to be a full moon at a time that's close to one of the nodes, that would say that you have a high probability that there's going to be a solar eclipse. And if you have a new moon that's going to occur anywhere close to one of these nodes, that's going to be a lunar eclipse. All right? So basically, if you have a civilization that keeps track very precisely of when the moon comes up and goes down on the horizon, you start to notice things, okay? You start to notice when lunar eclipses happen, right? Now, mind you, it takes a long time to accumulate that huge of a database. Okay, for example, the ancient Egyptians, uh, the theory is that their calendar was uh, established, some say uh, 4,000 years ago, some say 6,000 years ago, okay? Let's just take the more conservative, the 4,000 years ago. So around two. And I want to make the distinction here. I'm not going to use BCE, before Christ, or AD after death. 
I'm going to use the science uh, phrase, which is BCE before common era. Okay, so let's say around 2000 BC, um, the Egyptians had a full-blown calendar that could predict lunar eclipses, solar eclipses. And you remember I said they also were very detailed information on Sirius, the brightest star in the sky, which is called the Celtic calendar. So basically, by 2000 BC, they had an established calendar that they could predict these different astronomical phenomena. But think about the time period before that, that it took for somebody to night after night sit down and make these uh, records, right? You had to have a huge database accumulated before you could establish an accurate calendar that accurately predicted the movements of the sun and the moon. So patterns, okay? Very quickly, in physics, uh, 15th century, Tycho Brahe, very famous astronomer, accumulated these volumes of data on the motions of Mars and, and, and the other planets he could observe. Just, I mean, we're talking books that are a foot thick <laughs> and a hundred of them, right? Just night after night, sitting in his observatory, making note of these uh, celestial objects, right? And his student, Kepler, Johann Kepler came along, plowed through all these volumes of data and actually found a pattern. I mean, found a pattern and can you imagine doing that? You're, you got a room full of foot thick books of astronomical annotations on, okay, the moon was here this night. It was here that night. Mars was here, Mar Jupiter was here. And he plowed through that data. I don't know how many years it took him. And he found patterns in Tycho Brahe's data that led him to his three uh, laws of planetary motion, which NASA and every other, every other space agency goes by. I mean, it's old school as you can get. But his three planetary laws of motion, equations that fit the movement of the planets in our solar system. Huh? How cool is that? Mathematical equations, right? How, I mean, right. he found a pattern. So back to the ancients, there's what's called the Saros cycle, S-A-R-O-S. And it says that every 18 years or so, the alignment of the earth, moon, and sun, they will repeat. So there you go, right? The alignment of the earth, moon, and sun. You have your solar and your lunar eclipses. But think about how long it took for somebody in all these different civilizations. And you don't know if they were all, if this was found out independently or if there was a transmission of information, right? Well, but let me tell you, Leroy, my yes. friend was said that the Borukas used to predict the eclipses because at the time of the eclipse, they used to worship their gods and that's why it was an important event and i don't know if you have talked to farmers for example they say okay today is this moon and you have to plant this 
Have you all heard from it? nature? They, yes. Yes. Like, everything related to nature. So I, I, I think that if they stand in a specific position, according to the, to the spheres, they were able to predict the, the eclipse. And it yes. was very important for them because they were going to worship their God. Okay, so this is what I'm saying, Mariella. Um, let's let's say that yes, the spheres are connected to being able to predict a lunar eclipse. Now, looking at these other ancient civilizations, that would say. Maybe that a Baduka or some other individual noted the movements of the moon and acquired a database that was sufficient enough to base a calendar on. And then you got to figure once they did that, as time went on and this calendar accurately predicted when a lunar eclipse would take place, they became more and more confident that their calendar was correct, right? But point is, is that it took an, you know, when I use, you know, when I said about how in physics, all the equations were obtained by somebody, he or she doing a huge amount of experiments in order to find a way to use math an equation to describe what their experiments, uh, the results. Uh, you got to figure that for these ancient civilizations, including the Baduka, to have been able to establish calendars that accurately predict when a lunar eclipse is going to happen, that took a huge amount of data for somebody to go through like Kepler did with Tycho Brahe's data and find patterns that could be described by mathematical equations. So basically the spheres, they represent a mathematical equation. They represent a way that the Baduka were able to describe the motion of the moon and thereby know when that motion with respect to the two lunar nodes would produce a lunar eclipse. So we got to get your, to your video. Everybody, I actually think we're going to go over an hour. We might get cut off, but let me wrap up. But because we, we want to get to Mariel's vi video. But let me just say that what we're going to do from here on in, I think the fact that I've established that I, from what I found on the Internet, and, you know, there's books that are in some monastery or somewhere in some distant parts of the world that may contain other knowledge. But for the time being, what I found on the internet is that all the ancient cultures that had their astronomy, they started with the moon. That was their first subject of study. They became experts at it in order to help them to survive, to know when to plant and to harvest their crops. And in, in the pursuit of being experts at the movement of the moon, they naturally noticed when lunar eclipses occurred. And they noted that. And over thousands of years, 
somebody found a pattern that they were able to make a lunar calendar. And that includes the Baruka, the Egyptians, the Babylonians, Sumerians, Assyrians. Uh, yes. So now let's get to Mariella. Okay, Mariella, please. Yes. I would like to share, well, I wanted to share this video with you because I gathered some, some, some more information about the, the Borucas and Spears. They, they really are an interesting culture. They, they really are. But there is something that makes me think about it. I've heard, well, I looked in internet and they said that they want to keep their traditions because they have lost their, their language and things like that. But then talking to a, a contact, they, well, she told me that most of them speak Spanish, but they kept their language. So it's very interesting. I'm going to show you in my video some some crafts that they they create and they're very important. They're very interesting. They're so beautiful. Welcome to Natural Physics. My name is Teacher Mariela. We're going to continue talking about the pre-Columbian spheres located in Costa Rica. They are unique and they are only in the southern part of the country. They are a mystery. We still don't know why were they made for. It's supposed they were a calendar. Chiefs of the time were able to predict eclipses. But as some of the spheres were stolen, there is no scientific evidence of that fact. So let's continue investigating about them. This picture was taken by one of our helpers who visited the Finca 6 Museum. You can look at one of the spheres, it is a small one, and other rocks. They have different shapes. They were probably tools used and created by the Borucas. This is another stone located in Finca 6. It has a particular form. You can see three small spheres. They are located also in Finca 6 Museum. You're part of the exhibition. In this video, you can look at some of the spheres located in Finca 6. They are part of the museum. They are located in the original place where they were built. There is a theory which says that the spheres were a sign of hierarchy. This photo of me in one of the spheres was taken in Playa del Coco, Carrillo, Guanacaste, in Costa Rica. It's used as an ornament outside from a restaurant. It is a replica. We're going to continue talking about the Borucas culture. They are self-governed. They have their own laws and they keep the traditions. They are proud. They were not conquered. They are known because of their art. 
would they like to share with all of us? As you can see, their art is beautiful. Everything is very detailed and colorful. They are made with wood. You can see masks and ornaments for the walls to hang on the walls. You can see a turtle, a parrot, butterflies, a tiger. Look at this beautiful mask. This is one of the devils, one of the masks used in the dance of the devils, which is their celebration. It's a celebration in which they fight against the Spaniards. They're proud that they were not conquered. Look at the colors, look at the eyes, nose, mouth. This art is awesome. There we can find more masks, a parrot, and these other ornaments you can hang on the wall. They will bring lots of color to your house. So beautiful, they are really artists. This is the ad they have in the market. You see it's Buruka Art, 100% handmade from the south of Costa Rica. They said each item, each craft is made by one person. So it means there are different people involved in the creation of one of each these items that I just showed you. It's awesome. It's really awesome. interesting that they are uh, an organized culture but they like I don't know but they it seems that they divide their their job they divide their work because it is said that the spheres were made in groups one group could be a family was in charge of creating this specific sphere and I suppose that's why some of them were found in front of some houses. Well, some of the villagers' houses. Mariella, I was thinking about how exquisite the artwork, the artwork is. I mean, it's beautiful. And Definitely. to have that a creativity combined with the scientific knowledge that the spheres represent now the spheres are beautiful 
And I've, I've said before that I consider them to be more beautiful than the modern uh, manufactured uh, replicas. So for a civilization to have that full spectrum of artistic creativity and scientific knowledge, that, that is aw that's awesome. That's serious. Right. But remember, they are also self-governed. They didn't yes. accept, they didn't permit Spaniard influence in their traditions, in their culture. They were politi they were politically advanced as well. <laughs> right, right. Oh, right on, <laughs> right on. Well, um, I want to say that uh, where we're going to go from here is that I figure unless they had a, a whole nother method that the other ancient civilizations of the earth were not aware of in terms of a, a, of a lunar calendar that could predict lunar eclipses, their system using the spheres must have been based on the lunar nodes as well and, and knowing the precise movements of the moon with respect to their locality. And again, it makes you think, why in all the world was the geographic location of that specific area within Costa Rica picked by the Barucas or whoever to construct those spheres and with relationship to the movement of the moon? So what I think we should uh, endeavor to do now is to find out what spheres still remain in situ, in situ. Hey, some say tomato, some say tomato. <laughs> you know, in situ, in situ, right? <laughs> uh, I say we, we find out the ones that still remain in their original locations of when they were discovered, because so many have been removed, and find out the latitude and longitude of those positions and I think the size of those uh, spheres might be important. I had a crazy idea that maybe the, maybe the sizes of the spheres represent how close it's getting to a lunar eclipse, right? Where the smaller ones are where it's far away and bigger, you know, the lunar eclipse is getting closer. Yeah, hey, just, but, so let's do that. I don't know how we can do that yet. Maybe contact the museum, but there, there must be records somewhere and everybody out there, you're you're in this with us. This is a group exploration. Uh, uh, hey, I just found out that if you're if you're on Facebook right now, you can actually type in to us. You can ask questions, and and I would like for everybody to be able to do that as we have our podcast. Type in a question or a comment. Yes, and it's important it, because we're here talking about the Barucas, who were who are in Costa Rica. But the other, the other civilizations used to come here. They either in the country of the, of the spheres. So other civilizations must have more information. So. Okay. Okay. Now, everybody, we're extending. Oh, we're, we're what's the word? We're, we're extending the edge of the envelope. Okay. 
we're going past the two hour mark we might get cut off at any time but if we do i hope i hope we won't but real quickly so mariella you're saying that when it was stated in the uh documents of the expeditions that uh the rulers uh people gathered in the lord in the land of the balls this not only consisted of groups within costa rica but it 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 it, it uh, consisted of groups outside of costa rica is that what you're saying right right other civilizations actually that Francisco, the conqueror of peru whoa that's why he wrote to the prince wow every week we find wow okay so other now i have to ask this was this civilizations that were also in central america or north america south america europe africa yeah. asia if we're talking about peru we're talking about south america but we don't know what which other civilizations used to come to costa rica okay see when you made that comment in your video about how it was observed by the spanish conquistadors that the rulers uh gathered in the lord in the land of the balls i immediately assumed that that was just within costa rica i didn't know that that okay see everybody we got something else to follow up on we have something here uh, uh i don't i don't want to go beyond where we just get cut off because you know what I want to say. So Mariella, in closing, do you have anything to say? I want to say thank you to all our listeners. And I hope you do come to us. And please give us some information, every information as you can. Yeah, now if you want, you can go to my website, naturalphysics.com. And, and I have a contact page you can type in your comments, suggestions, recommendations. If you want us to address something, look at something, do that. Seriously, please do that. Okay? Natural-physics.com. And, and it'll come up. And, yeah, seriously do so. Okay, so, all right. Everybody, yeah, wow, this is the third week in a row. So awesome. So awesome to reach everybody audio 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 wise and video wise and um thank you for joining us and uh tune in next week same fat time same fat channel